Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Uh, before Stu comes up and gives us the word today, I want to give you a moment uh, to practice the rule of life. So if you could bow your heads with me, we're going to practice just a moment of solitude and silence for a bit to center ourselves, um, come so that we can really hear what God has to say to us. Um, for those investigating faith and for those who know the Lord far, close, or somewhere in between, um, it's in those moments when we allow our spirit to connect and create space that God begins to move in our lives. So let's make that space right now. So let's exhale. Just let it all come. All the anxieties, toxicities, fears, anything harassing your mind, automatic thoughts, we bring to the feet of God's house. And inhale, the transcending presence of God. It's the air we breathe. And God's amazing presence. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. God's people pray. Amen. Now our brother Stu will come up and give us the word. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Um, I feel like over the last couple of uh, times I've been able to come up here, I've gotten to share a little bit about myself with you guys. I've been able to talk a little bit about my work, a little bit about my nerdiness, tell a couple of bad jokes, make a couple of inside references that probably nobody gets. But today I get to talk about sports. Now, as some of you guys know, as some of you guys know, I am not a basketball person. I mean, I feel for all of you Knicks fans out there. I know what it's like rooting for a team that's uh, ruled by James Dolan. It's terrible. But again, I'm not a basketball person. I'm a hockey fan. I was born and bred a Rangers fan. I started playing in high school. I've been playing on and off since then. Uh, I go to the Rangers games pretty regularly, and some people may spread some vicious lies about me being a very loud and obnoxious uh, fan. Um, I wish those were lies. No, they're very true. I am very loud and obnoxious. If you're interested in going, let me know. We'll get something going. But one of the things that people kind of like, they give me a funny look when I take them to hockey games and when they hear about hockey, they say, Stu, this is a pretty rough game. Why do they allow fights? And yes, you are allowed to fight in hockey. And it's sometimes encouraged. And it's even better when the goalies get involved. Yes, that's a thing. So again, people ask me, what the heck is this all about? Why are they fighting? And to understand that, you kind of let's take a look at one of the greatest players of the game. He's our version of Michael Jordan. His name is Wayne Gretzky. We were calling him the great one long before The Rock was even a thing. <laughs> he has more assists in his career than any other player to this date has both goals and assists. He's that much head and shoulders above everybody else. But one of the things about Wayne Gretzky was that when he was playing and he was doing his amazing things on the ice trying to score goals, 
he would kind of lose track that there was another team on the ice that was trying to stop him from scoring, that would give him a little bit of resistance, and sometimes he would absolutely get leveled. Enter the enforcer, a guy like Dave Semenko, and that is different from a goon, because I know everybody's seen the movie Goon, it's different. But a guy like Dave Semenko was there to make sure that if any player wanted to give Gretzky too much resistance, then that player would face a little bit of resistance of their own and they'd get a little attitude adjustment. I mean, good Lord, would you want to mess with that guy? So anyway, I say all this to say that in hockey, if you're trying to score a goal, if you're trying to win the game, and you're not aware that there's another team out there that is going to throw some resistance in your way, you're probably going to have a bad time. And if you're one of those players that is all about hurting a high-skilled player, and there's an enforcer on the ice, you are also going to have a bad time. All right, so I can see that I'm starting to lose some people, and you're starting to wonder, what the heck does this have to do with my life in Christ and my faith journey? Well, just as the same as in hockey, in life, if we are trying to achieve our goals, if we're going out there and we're trying to do whatever it is that we're trying to do, and we're not aware or unprepared for the resistance that we will face in our lives, we are going to have a bad time. We are going to become discouraged. We're going to become disillusioned. We're going to wonder why are things not going according to plan, and we're going to lose hope, and we're going to give up on those goals. And in the same way, in our life, in faith, in our following of Christ, if we're not aware that there will be resistance to our journey in Christ, we are going to get blindsided. We are going to be harassed. We're going to come up against that resistance, and we're going to lose faith. Now, this is an important point that I want all of you guys to catch before I go too far into this, and there's a lot that I want to cover, so we have to get this point kind of solidified right off the bat. Let's put this passage up real quick. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing while he's in jail, and he's trying to lead them in their faith journey. He's trying to encourage them, but he's also warning them. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that verse 11 right there is very important. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The simple fact is that we believe in God. We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that he is good, that he is working to redeem this world. But we also believe that there is an enemy out there, one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, who is opposed to God's work. I mean, if we look at the world around us, we can see that it's a pretty broken world. No matter what we try to do, there's always something that's still trying to mess it up. And if that's not evidence of resistance, I don't know what is. So verse 11, like I said, it's key. And this is my point that I want all of us to get before we get too far into us. We have to know that there is an enemy and that there is resistance. If you guys don't get this, then everything I say today is not going to make sense. It's just going to go in one ear and out the other, and it's not going to catch. We have to know that there's resistance in life, and we have to know that there is an enemy out there. Because if you don't realize that you're in a fight, you are going to lose that fight. And I don't want anybody here to lose a fight that is so important because it's about your soul. It's about your growth in Christ. Nobody here, nobody watching at home, I don't want anybody to lose this fight, especially simply because we're not aware that we're in that fight. So today, as we focus on this passage in Ephesians, the question we're going to answer today is, how can we be ready to face the resistance in our faith journey? So let's go down to this, uh, this portion of the passage. And as I said, 
Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's trying to give them some guidance about how they can live their life in faith. And again, he's encouraging them and warning them that there is going to be resistance, that they are going to have to deal with a fight. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. He's trying to get this church ready, and as he's sitting in jail, he's using a bit of an allegory from the thing that he's probably seeing every day. He's seeing Roman soldiers dressed in their armor, ready for any kind of trouble that prisoners or revolutionaries or anybody might cause. They are decked out, ready for bear. So Paul is using the pieces of their armor to draw an allegory for how the church is to prepare for the resistance that they will face. And again, there's a lot of stuff here. I'm going to try to go through it a little bit quickly so we're not here all day. Um, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but we're going to start with verse 14 with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is a pretty obvious thing. Any person who puts on a suit of armor, that breastplate, that's the big thing that you have there. It protects your core, your vital organs. It's the most important thing, and it's the thing that you will see right off the bat. But Paul says that it is formed of righteousness. And he's not talking about our own righteousness because I don't think I'm breaking any news to anybody here, but just in case, just in case you're a little bit delusional, we're not perfect. And if we rely on our own righteousness, we are going to realize that we have our flaws, we have our weaknesses, we have our struggles. And if we're forming that breastplate of righteousness in our own righteousness, we're going to find that there are a lot of holes in that armor that are going to be easily penetrated. But instead, Paul is saying that this is a righteousness that comes from God. When we look back at verses 10 and 11, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's in God's righteousness that this is all formed. Because where we are weak, he is... There we go. Some people are paying attention. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, and that's why we can rely on this, because it's in God's righteousness that this breastplate is formed. Next, we talk about feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, have you guys ever tried running somewhere while barefoot or with shoes that don't fit right? It kind of hurts when you stub your toe or you trip up on them. We have a number of runners here in this church, and uh, including Cindy and Alan, who ran the uh, New York Marathon last week and posted a really good time. Um, but anybody who runs will tell you, if you're wearing shoes that aren't broken in, that aren't properly fitted, those 26.2 miles that you're trying to run are going to be the worst miles that you ever do in your entire life. But if you have properly fitted footwear, if it's properly broken in, those shoes will let you walk or march or run for hours on end as long as your endurance holds up. In the same way, when your feet are fitted with the readiness of, uh, the, that comes from the gospel of peace, that gospel is the thing that supports you, that leads you, that guides your step. And when you look in the gospel, when you look through the scriptures, it's full of passages where God has led his people. Like Joe was singing, take my hand and walk. We see what God has done in the past and we are confident that he will lead us in all of our steps. Let's go to the next slide. We'll continue talking. Uh, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith which with, with, yeah, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you guys ever seen the movie Braveheart? 
or Gladiator? Okay, a couple of people have. I'm going to pull a doc here and say, if you haven't seen those movies, you're a sinner, you need to see these movies. But each of these movies has a scene where two armies are facing against each other, and one army is launching just a barrage of arrows that blots out the sky. It was a common warfare tactic back then. It is a terrifying sight in those movies. And in those moments, all you could do was throw up your shield, hunker down, and hope that you made it through. I'm sure all of us here know what it's like to have problems and worries and resistance flung at us and rain down and we are just sitting there saying, oh Lord, help me through this moment. Paul is saying that we can weather that storm through the shield of faith, through knowing, again, what God has done, how faithful God has been in the past. That is the thing that will help us weather this new coming storm. Doc was preaching about it just the other week when we're remembering these sacred moments, those sacred places, those sacred memories. And Wendy, I am sorry that I forgot about that. That's my bad. I am sorry. But um, yes, those are the things that we can turn to in those times when the enemy's arrows are raining down on us, when we're feeling all of those things coming at us. We turn to those moments where God was faithful to us and walk in the faith that he will be faithful once again. Uh, and again, this is not something that can come up right away. No one expects anybody to have faith in just a moment. When we look at Abraham in Scripture, he was a man known as the father of faith. And yet, how many times did we see him walk into a town and say, oh, wow, I'm scared of these people stealing my wife. I'm just going to say that she's my sister. I don't even know how he got away with that once, much less twice. But he eventually became, like I said, a person known as the father of faith because he grew in seeing how God covered and walked with him in all of those things. Next, we have uh, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. I have said it before. I will say it again. Concussions suck. No matter what you're doing, whether you're going to war, whether you're playing hockey, whether you're just riding a bike, you need a helmet. You got to protect your head. It's a very important part. And it's very fitting that Paul says that the helmet that God puts on us is the helmet of salvation. It's one of the most important things that God gives us from the sacrifice on the cross. It is the thing that anoints us and protects us, that shows that we are his. And continuing on in verse uh, 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. For a Roman soldier, your sword was your primary offensive weapon. And it wasn't a bad defensive weapon either. It was something that you could respond to an attack with and make an attack of your own. But any soldier didn't just take a sword and then swing it around like you see the kids, you know, they, they run around swinging sticks at each other. You trained with it. You became proficient with it. You learned tactics. You learned forms. You learned strategies. You were proficient with it, and you were lethal with it. In a very similar way, Paul is calling us to be proficient and knowledgeable and trained in the Word of God, in the Scriptures of, the, of God. So if I was to ask you guys, because we all know a lot of stuff. We all have a lot of things running around in our brains. If I was to ask some of you guys who won the 2018 uh, NBA championship, I'm sure somebody would be able to answer that, right? All right, maybe not. <laughs> well, there are a lot of things that we know. There's a lot of things that we can remember. But if I was to say, I have a friend and he is worried that God is leaving him out to try, that he is not coming to his rescue. Do we know scripture that we can offer to that person? Would we be able to say, oh, Jeremiah 29, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We're called to know the scripture so that we can draw on it, so that when we are attacked, the same way when Jesus was tempted in the desert, when the enemy came to him, 
The enemy even came with scripture, but God was able to counter it. But more than just knowing scripture, we're called to know it properly. Again, Jeremiah 29, it's a great scripture to know when someone is struggling, when someone feels that God has abandoned them. But it's not a quick cure-all. It's not God is going to solve this in five minutes. He's going to be, you know, riding to the rescue right now. Jeremiah was actually speaking against a number of false prophets who were trying to tell the Israelites that. And Jeremiah was saying, yes, we are here for the long haul, but don't worry. Even though it is a long haul, God will rescue us. He knows us. He has plans for us. But again, unfortunately, scripture illiteracy, biblical illiteracy is a common thing. And a lot of people have used scripture in the past and even nowadays to say things that God was not talking about. I remember listening to a uh, John Eldridge podcast uh, a couple of years ago, and he was counseling a woman who was going through a divorce, and she actually initiated the divorce. And he's counseling her, and she was justifying her divorce through a passage in Ephesians 4. And in some of the translations, it says, to put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I know a couple of people are laughing because I think they see where this is going. She said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm putting off the old man, that my old husband. I'm getting rid of him, and I'm putting on the new man because he is so much more righteous. Oh, you should see how righteous he is. This is what Paul said I should do. And John Eldridge was like, no, no, this is not what it's supposed to be. We don't want to fall into that trap of biblical illiteracy. We want to be proficient. We want to be trained. We want to know what we're talking about so that when the time comes, we have the word of God as that strong sword to make those moves. Uh, and then we have, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This kind of does break a little bit of the allegory of armor, but any soldier will tell you that the most important thing that they can have is communication with their commander, someone to give them intel, someone to give them strategies, someone to tell them what their orders are, and someone to request backup from. And in the same way, when we pray in the spirit, that's the connection that we have with God. We have someone giving us our guidance, giving us our directions, someone to tell us ahead of time sometimes what to expect, and definitely someone to pray to when we need that help. I have heard so many stories of people, and I've even experienced it myself, where for whatever reason you're just butting heads with your best friend or your coworker or even your significant other, and you take that moment and you pray about it. And then all of a sudden, bam, all that tension, all that indecision, all that angst has just suddenly and almost magically disappeared. It's not magic. It's God's guidance. It's God coming to our rescue when we pray in the Spirit. And then we have one last verse. We're going to go all the way back to verse 14, the very thing, first thing that Paul says. He says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Oh, okay, it's, it's a belt. How is that supposed to be protecting us? It may sound something simple, but it was actually very important because it was what tied all the armor together. If your garments that you had underneath your armor weren't tied together, your armor would just flop around, it would become more of a hindrance, and it would be easily broken through. In the same way, if we try to put all of this stuff on, but we don't rely on the fact that this is truth, undeniable, unequivocal, just 100% truth, these things will fail away. 
if we just think, yeah, salvation is probably a thing, yeah, God's righteousness is probably there, we're going to stumble and fall when we come to those times of heavy resistance. But when we know in truth that God has saved us, that he has given us salvation through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, when we know in truth that it is his righteousness that covers us, that it is faith in him because he will take us through all of the difficult parts. It's when everything comes together in one cohesive set. Now, I know I've been rambling on for a little while about this. This is a lot of stuff to take in. But as we go down to the, the next page, again, Paul is putting all of this together so that the church is ready, so that they are fully prepared, so that they have everything that they will need in order to stand up against the resistances that they will face. Um, in 1908, there was a gentleman by the name of Robert Baden-Powell, and he created a group that eventually went worldwide called the Boy Scouts. And does anybody know what the motto of the Boy Scouts is? Wow, nobody. Nobody was prepared for this question. Okay. All right, I guess. So their motto is to be prepared. And someone actually asked him, well, be prepared for what? And he said, well, why for any old thing? He, he envisioned the Scouts as a group of youths growing up with civic mindedness, with being ready for anything that will come at them. He said that to be prepared meant that you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty, uh, that you were service minded individuals ready to do your part. And sure enough, a couple of decades later, during the Battle of Britain, Winston Churchill actually said that it was many of these scouts who were helping out while Nazi Germany was bombing Great Britain to help people get out of the buildings, get to shelter, ready and prepared for whatever resistance showed up. And I think Paul is saying something very similar. I think he's calling us to be prepared, to paraphrase, always in a state of readiness in mind, body, and spirit to live our faith and destiny in Christ. So my first point about this, how can we be ready to face the resistance that we'll face in our spiritual journey is simply to be prepared. You know, we all have all of these tools at our disposal and being prepared is a lifelong journey. It's not something that we will just get to a point and say, okay, I'm all done with this, but it's a lifelong journey. And many of us are probably at different stages of that preparedness. Maybe some of us are struggling to see how salvation is so valuable in Christ. Maybe some of us are struggling to lay down our righteousness and put on Christ's righteousness. Maybe we are struggling to find that biblical literacy and be proficient in God's word. But this is an invitation to see where we need to be prepared, where we have those tools just sitting there right ready for us to use so that when the resistance comes, when we fall into dark times, when we see troubles coming, that we are able to stand, we are able to fight back, we are able to rely in the full armor of God that will see us through these times. So my question for you guys as we go into this week is, where do you need to be prepared? And who are the people in your life that can help you be prepared? Because again, this is an invitation to be prepared. So maybe, again, if we're struggling to know the word, 
Maybe this is a great time to join a Bible reading group. Maybe this is a great time to join a small group or to join a peer group. Or maybe just invite a friend to be a prayer partner. I have one of those right now. He's probably uh, smirking at me right now. But it is a great help to have friends along that journey with you to be prepared. But the thing is, you can be prepared for a fight. But if you don't know what kind of fight it is, you're still in danger of losing that fight. Let's go down to our next passage. Paul says in uh, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying two things. First, he's saying that we're already in that struggle. He wants us to be aware that it's not a struggle that may happen or that will happen, but this is a struggle that we face daily and that we have to be ready for. But he's also saying that it's not always going to be a physical struggle. Sure, sometimes it will be a physical struggle. Sometimes you will go out and try to get to small group and you will find that you have a flat tire. Sometimes you will call a person and say, hey, let's meet up, and the weather will just turn nasty and you won't be able to make it. Sometimes you'll be headed out to a uh, day in the sun and you'll breathe in the fresh October air and you'll smell a gas leak outside of your house and that will ruin your day. Ask me how I know about that one. But it's not always going to be physical. It's not always going to be overt. Sometimes it's going to be spiritual. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit more implicit a little bit sneakier. You're going to have that wave of melancholy and depression that keeps you from even wanting to get out of bed during the day. You're going to have that moment where you remember that one stupid thing that you did 10 years ago and it's going to kick your butt all day long even though nobody but you remembers it. But it's going to take every ounce of energy from you. You're going to fight against Instagram and Reddit just grabbing your attention more aggressively than normal. You're going to try to remember something like I just did, and it's just going to be the most important thing that you want to say, and it's just gone from your head. These are the things that happen in the spiritual world. It's things that we have to be aware of. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's natural, sometimes it is spiritual, and we have to be ready for that. Uh, I remember a conversation I was having with Pastor Lydia many years ago. And um, she put this in a really good perspective for me. Um, we were talking, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but it, it probably got on the, on the subject of warfare and, and struggle and resistance and things like that. And she said, Stu, when you go to work, you put on your uniform and your shield, right? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And you grab your handcuffs, now she remembers it. You put on your handcuffs and your keys and your other equipment, right? Yeah, yeah, of course I do. But do you pray before you go to work? Do you pray for covering when you go to work? Oh, wow, no, I really don't do that. I was prepared for most of the physical things that I might face during the day, but I was completely and woefully unprepared for any of the spiritual warfare that I might face that day. And I would suspect that many of us are probably in a similar boat where we don't realize that every day we will face that spiritual resistance, sometimes in very small ways, sometimes in very big ways. And we need to be aware that that will be a thing, and we need to prepare for that. 
I mean, how many of us, when we're going to class, whether we're a parent, whether we're a student, whether we're a teacher, how many of us say, Lord, would you guide this class today? Show us what you're teaching us. How many of us, when we grab our golf clubs or our basketball or hockey stick, how many of us say, Lord, bless this time with my friends. Let it be a time where I can reach out to them. How many of us, when we go to sit down at a computer game, say, Lord, let me not turn into an absolute rage monster. Let me practice your uh, temperance in this moment. How many of us, when we go to small group, say, Lord, cover this small group. Show us what you're teaching us. And in Jesus' name, we bind every distraction and every one of the enemy schemes to steal away what you are doing in this time. It's a fight that we need to be prepared for. It's a thing that we need to be aware of. So my next point is this. How do we get ready to face the resistance that we will face in our spiritual lives? We have to recognize that it's more than just physical. It's also spiritual. Now, this isn't to say that everything is the devil hiding around the corner like some Baba Yaga boogeyman ready to you know, come and tear and attack us. It's not like that. Sometimes it is very natural. Sometimes it is. We just need an extra hour of sleep. Sometimes it is. We need to grit our teeth and bear it. But we can't be unaware of the spiritual aspect of things because sometimes it's not that we need an extra hour of sleep. Sometimes it's we need to go to God's garden and relax and rest in his presence, in his green pastures. Sometimes it is an attack of the enemy that's trying to keep us from reaching out to our friends for a life in Christ. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be ready for that. So my question for you guys is, are you recognizing that spiritual side of things? Are you over-spiritualizing it or under-spiritualizing it? Where is that balance that you need to find in the struggles and in the resistance that you face in your faith journey? And again, I hope that during small group and during the week, we can talk about these things and we can be prepared for them and really take them head on. So what's the point of all of this? What's the great news, the good news, of when we face these resistances head on? Because there is victory in this. There is victory when we face off against this resistance and we persevere. Well, next week we're doing some baptisms, right? Woo! Exactly, that's a great thing. And these are great stories of God pulling through in people's lives and people dedicating their lives to Christ. But this stuff does not happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just happen that one day somebody says, I'm going to save that person for Christ. And it just happens miraculously like that. I mean, granted, I don't want to put God in a box. Sometimes it does happen. But a lot of times it's facing off the resistance. It's meeting with that person time and time again, praying for that person, answering questions, and being there on their faith journey through the resistance, through the difficulty. That is why we get prepared. That is why we put on the full armor of God, so that... When the day of evil comes, we are able to stand our ground, and after everything we have done, we can stand. So in that, in that moment, would you guys stand with me? Father, I thank you that you have given us everything that we need to be prepared for the fights and the resistance that does lie ahead of us, and that... You are there, ready, willing, and able to help us, to see us through all of these things. Father, I pray that we would take this invitation today to be prepared, to be ready to face whatever resistances come in our faith journey, and to stand knowing that you are there beside us.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to make a correction. Stu didn't just forget Wendy came to Christ in his small group. Stu forgot he led Wendy to Christ in his small group. There's a contextual difference there in gigantic proportions. <laughs> so, well, you could say you're definitely not a narcissist because uh, you forgot. <laughs> but but uh, sometimes um, the spiritual element happens through a fog, like a malaise. You just or amnesia, you just don't remember key moments. Sometimes it's physical, right? Like, like for Riau, she had a, one time she was coming back to church before she gave her life to Christ. She got a parking ticket and, you know, it was just like, I'm not coming back to church. It's not worth it. <laughs> the enemy was like, I got her. It's about the money. <laughs> $55 to do it. That's it. It's the end of her faith journey right there. Uh, so the weapons that the enemy uses in the West, which is, I mean, after really the Renaissance period from the 1500s, uh, with Hubble's discovery of the nebula or what we thought once was just space debris, it's ne we found that it's galaxies in the Milky Way itself. So a lot of times we use different means of measure to move away from God, whether it's atheism or the academy saying it's just based on logic. There's so many different factors and the enemy knows clearly how to do it and it's more implicit in the West, meaning you don't really see it in Africa. They shut down governments and states, buses, because there's demonic possessions. Because in Africa, it's not, there's not a question if it's God or the devil, it's one of them. I mean, they accept as reality. I'm going to go a bit nerdy here. But the whole point of the breakthroughs in physics and thermodynamics in the last 500 years has been that we're trying to redefine reality, right? Einstein theory of relativity and the whole idea of even string theory talks about different points of reality. But eventually when Newton and Einstein and Hawking even try to find a theory of everything. They couldn't because in the end, they determined we can't find, we can't see all forms of reality. So it really comes down to we won't know everything ever. What would be the point of existence if you knew everything, right? Like if you woke up tomorrow and you knew everything, what's the point of that? So. In a sense, we, we're going to eventually have to come down to this place where we're vulnerable to the unknown. <laughs> the only way you can actually even collect data is through experience. And sometimes we're prejudiced against experience, a priori. We get, oh, you got to take experience out of this. But the way we know anything is through experience. And so Stu just shared so many experiences with all of us about how the enemy moves. I think we can scale that and know that this is a real thing. So if you're a seeker today, know that faith, there's going to be resistance of you trying to understand God and his plan for your life. If you're a believer, well, it's going to use parking tickets. Um, he's going to use amnesia or sleepiness. 
being burnt out to get you out the journey of faith. And so what we need to pray for then is for God to open our eyes. Because tell someone next to you, I'm no sucker. I can't say the other words, that's why I chose that word. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm no sucker. But the truth is, a lot of times we get sucked into the plot of the enemy because it's, it's literally, it's covert. It's implicit. Either the enemy influences your ideology, your physical environment. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesus clearly that he is the God of this world, meaning his domain has power over this earth. And the story of Christianity is the story of the rightful king landing in disguise, leading a campaign of sabotage, setting us free. So today, let's pray for this. Will you pray with me? Just repeat after me today, okay? God, I want to see. I ain't no sucker. I ain't no fool. Even though I acted like it a lot. I know. You see what I'm doing to you right now? I'm making you admit your mistakes. And God, I pray you lead me right now. Let's make this our prayer. I am not ashamed in the name of all names. I am not ashamed of the name of all names. For it has the power to heal and to save. Strength for the weary and peace to the troubled soul.
pray together as we conclude our service today. J.K. Rowling, who uses the word muggle, which she created, is someone, a creature that's non-magical, like a pig, a cow, a chicken has no really cosmic significance. It's a powerful word. The question a lot of people ask was, why did Harry Potter and its series sell the most children's books in the history of humanity? She became richer than the Queen of England. That's because she tapped into what everybody already knows but didn't have the words or the etymology to describe that evil does exist in all kinds of forms I just don't know how to verbalize that why it's sold why anything sells at any moment in history to that scale is because it touches a fabric of reality we know but cannot verbalize and she caught it for the Christian are you being manipulated and muggleized rather than attending Hogwarts, where it's way more fun, and being trained to battle evil in cosmic significance to your calling in life, and the prophecies and the foreshadowings has already been given about your life? Or are you living obliviously, like a muggle, like a buffoon, because that's what the enemy wants, to muggleize the church. And for the seeker, you know viscerally that transcendence and something more exists beyond this world. And the enemy will try to keep you locked in to this cognitive, material world. And that, that, that's it. And what Harry Potter does is peel that layer back. And that's my prayer for all of us today, that we see the unseen world. There's plenty of evidence to give us reasonable doubt. And I pray that as Stu told us today, we be prepared for resistance. So if you're discouraged today, how many people are discouraged by something? Raise your hand if you're discouraged. You're sad. You're mad. Be happy about it. You're like, why? Because the only reason the enemy confronts you with resistance is because you're moving in the right direction. So if you're discouraged or depressed, I mean, if it's clinical, go see a psychologist, okay? But what I'm saying is if you are out of mood, you're, you're, you're feeling this resistance, it means that you're moving in the right direction that God wants you so frame it correctly, be encouraged, and move forward. Let's bow our heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now 
and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Wear the full armor of God.